I'm Kelsey Ryder. I'm Natalia Raymond. And this is Angelinos in Training, a podcast for people curious about Los Angeles by people who live in Los Angeles. So whether you're moving here, new to the area, or just want to better understand LA, we're here to help you navigate the city of angels. And welcome back to Angelinos in Training. Today we are going to learn about one of the biggest landmarks in Los Angeles, the Hollywood sign. Ooh, so glamorous. Yes. So back when I was a tour guide, about maybe 60% of the questions I got from my guests were about the Hollywood sign, where they're going to see really? it, where they're going to take pictures. Oh, Everybody freaked out every time that we saw it. Like, even if we just saw it as like a tiny little white speck in the distance, I'd be like, hey, look, everyone, the Hollywood sign. And everyone would just like turn to that side of the bus and I'll go, ooh, and take their pictures, (laughs) even if we were way too far away to take a good picture. But whenever I talked about the Hollywood sign history... Oh, they got way less interested, so... Nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared. They just wanted their picture. But I'm excited to share some of the Hollywood sign history today. Yay! I would love to thank some of the wonderful people who have reviewed us recently, too. Yes, yes, yes. So, Kat O.C., K-A-T-O-C, thank you so much for your review They mentioned that they moved to California, but they only visit L.A. occasionally, so it's been nice to learn about their neighboring city. And also, they thought that we were so much fun, and it makes it feel like we're sitting in the same room enjoying a coffee together. Although, Natalia and I would never enjoy a coffee together. Yes, no coffee. Natalia and I love tea, so if anybody out there wants to get us a present, get us some good tea. We will love you forever. We would love herbal refreshment. Herbal refreshment all day. And then Tam-NW, I'm guessing this is also a Northwest friend. Thank you so much for your review. They especially loved the nutrition episode. And they think that we're great together, which is so nice. So thanks for those reviews. We appreciate them. It's how we get our little serotonin boost. So hopefully we gave you a serotonin boost right back. Thank you for touching our hearts. (laughs) So, Kelsey. Yes. What do you know about Hollywood sign history? I know that it was originally Hollywood land. And mm-hmm. what you taught me in our History of Hollywood episode is that Hollywood land was a neighborhood development. But yes. I don't know much beyond that other than you can't really get up close to it right yes, now. Yes, that's all true. But we're going to go into greater detail today. <laughs> All right. I'm excited. I guess it's time to just get right into the Hollywood sign history. Because, you know, it's just a big sign on a hill. And a lot of people don't know why it's there. But you get to learn a little bit about it today. And actually, I just realized our logo is inspired by the Hollywood sign. I don't know how many of you have noticed, but look at your app right now and you'll see that Angelino's is mimicking the Hollywood sign by our very talented graphic designer, artist, Trevor Richardson. He came up with that concept and we love it. So yes, Hollywood sign history in Angelino's in training. And now we're going to hear the original Hollywood sign history. So I want to credit 
the Hollywood Sign Trust for a lot of their information that helped me with researching this episode. They have a brochure on their website that's about 31 pages long. That's just chock full of information, pictures, all kinds of things. Anyone who wants information about the Hollywood sign in greater detail, read that brochure. It's downloadable from their website. Awesome. A lot of what I'm sharing comes from it. I just really want to shout out the Hollywood Sign Trust for doing such a top-notch job on having that information available to the public. You the best. Good job. And um, (laughs) on their website, also hollywoodsign.com, they also have links to donate to the sign, to its preservation. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. You want to contribute to the Hollywood sign. So first off, we probably should say what the Hollywood sign is. It's an L.A. landmark atop Mount Lee. It's a whole bunch of letters that spell out the word Hollywood in white, and you can see it from pretty much everywhere in Los Angeles. So if you're ever wondering where you are, you can just look up to the hill and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm in Hollywood. That's where I am. Oh, that's where I am. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we already went over a lot of Hollywood's early history in our The Start of Hollywood and the Silent Film Era episodes. Some of the time periods that we'll go over here correlate with those same times but it's focused on the sign in the 19 teens the film industry was flourishing as we well established in those episodes and going to the movies became an american and international pastime everyone's going to the movies and actually by 1920 40 million americans went to the movies each week. Wow. It's a lot of people. The name Hollywood is on everyone's lips, everyone's minds. Everyone's thinking about Hollywood. It's an international landmark. It becomes this symbol of glamour and stardom, and people who want to be movie stars start moving out here. In 1923, the Hollywood Land sign was erected. Just like Kelsey said, the original sign read Hollywood Land. It had four more letters. It cost $21,000. Oh. Which is really not that much. No, it's not. If you're translating that to today, that's $320,000. Yeah, I would have expected it to be way more than that. That's like pennies. Yeah. But here's why. It's because the original sign was only built to last 18 months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it was meant to be a temporary billboard to advertise this upscale housing development called Hollywood Land, this really fancy Mm -hmm. real estate development at the end of Beechwood Canyon, just below what is now Mount Lee. It wasn't called Mount Lee yet. So it was just an ad. It was just an ad up there in the hills, which, uh, you know, doesn't sound that glamorous. You might be wondering, like, why did an ad end up staying all this time? (laughs) But first, we should probably back up a little bit to what the neighborhood was. So this neighborhood was originally a planned community, a master planned community that was designed Mm. to feel like a storybook. They gave it this very old world feel. They only had four architectural styles there. All of them very European. Uh, Every house was Mediterranean, English, Tudor, French, Normandy, or Spanish architecture. 
This makes so much sense because mm-hmm. driving up towards the Griffith Observatory, you do see a mishmash of that like style of mm-hmm. architecture. Yeah. I personally really love that neighborhood, Me like too. walking around that neighborhood because the houses are just so cool. They're really cool. And of course, it's not all super master planned today. The houses have become more eclectic, but originally it was all master planned like that. It was considered to be an escape from the whole urban sprawl below where the the low lives live, the normal folk, all of that. <laughs> the seedy gutter dwellers of Hollywood. Yes, exactly. One of the things that was considered really great about it was that nature was in close proximity. Like even though you're living in the city, you have your hills, you got your brush, your trees, all of that. But they also had luxurious amenities like swimming pools, tea gardens. Tea gardens. Horse stables, tennis courts. So they were very frou-frou. Yes. Very, very fancy. I want to go to the tea garden. (laughs) But just to give you an idea of how frou-frou it was, I love the term frou-frou. I don't know why. (laughs) It's fun to say. This is a quote from one of the original advertisements for Hollywoodland. Where will you live when the second million has come? Will your family enjoy a delightful home in the clean, pure mountain air of Hollywoodland with its wonderful climate, broad (laughs) open spaces and plenty of elbow room? Or will you live in a dwelling in the flat, uninteresting house in a row sections of the city, your family's freedom hampered by the maelstrom of human existence? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I also liked how you got more and more transatlantic as you went along. (laughs) Oh, the maelstrom. Wow, that's thick. Isn't that like the most elitist thing you've ever heard? (laughs) Yeah. The clear, clean air of Hollywood land. That's so funny. <laughs> was this like in, in, an, in an ad? Like would they find it in the newspaper yeah. or something? Yeah. And also get this. When I said dwelling, it's in quotes. In a dwelling. Oh, dwelling. <laughs> they threw quotes around back then like willy-nilly. Like, yeah. They throw them around like emojis today. Yeah. And as one of their insults, uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed when I saw that. That gives you a good idea of what this neighborhood was like. Very, very (laughs) self-important. There's a whole bunch of different stories about who had the original idea to erect the sign to promote this development. And Mm. let's be clear, no one actually knows whose idea it was. Nobody actually knows. Oh. One idea. That H.J. Whitley, remember him from the start of Hollywood episode. I do. Made plans to build a similar sign for his neighborhood Whitley Heights. And that um, he suggested to the Hollywoodland developers that they should do the same. Oh, okay. However, that might be just kind of giving Whitley a little too much credit because people really like to say that Whitley was like the father of Hollywood and all this stuff. And also, mind you, Whitley Heights never had such a sign. Okay, so yeah, that doesn't really really pan out. And also, why would Whitley want to help a rival developer. He had his own neighborhood. Why would he want to help Hollywood land? Oh, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's right. So the other main story that gets shared a lot is that one of the developers, John Roche, 
designed a promotional brochure for the neighborhood, and he sketched out the hills and the homes and all that, and the place where he put the word Hollywoodland was in the hills. Okay. Not meaning to actually be a sign, but that's just where he had placed it, and that apparently one of his collaborators was like, you know what? That's a fine idea, sir. Let's make a sign like that. <laughs> Let's make it visible through the whole LA area. Send your men up the cliffs and erect this name of neighborhood. I just have a really hard time buying that one, too. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows whose idea it was? So we don't know. We don't know whose idea it was. But we do know some things about the construction. Okay. And it's funny that you say, (laughs) send your teams up there. Because how easy (laughs) do you think it was to build such a sign in the 1920s? Dude. No, I've never even hiked Griffith Observatory because it's got so many, like, inclines. I can't imagine. So it's a really steep hill right there. But you know what their team did? They just scraped the brush and they built a crude road. There was probably a whole lot of sketchiness in this uh, building of the grand advertisement. So one thing that's different from the original sign from today. The original sign was lit. It had light bulbs all over it. It would light up at night. The sign today is not lit. And people are frequently surprised by that. All the time I do evening tours and everyone's like, where's the sign? Where's the Hollywood sign? And I'd be like, it's over there. (laughs) I'd point over there. They'd be like, I don't see it. And I go, that's because it hasn't been lit for decades. Well, see, I honestly, I did the same thing when I moved here. Mm -hmm. I, I swore that it was illuminated at night. I didn't think it was like lit. With bulbs like, you know, a full marquee, but I assumed mm-hmm. there was little spotlights below it. Yeah, they, they have lit it with spotlights for certain special events, which I'll probably mention a little later, but okay. definitely not on a regular basis. So the original sign was made up of more than 1,300 pieces of sheet metal that actually was perforated. There were holes throughout all of it. Oh, And the reason they did that, that was for wind resistance. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah, because otherwise it's just going to blow right down. Funny story, it fell down a whole bunch of times anyway, but we're going to get to that later. (laughs) The first time the sign was lit up was in December of 1923, and people were like, Mm -hmm. whoa, man, that's cool. I like seeing the name (laughs) of my neighborhood up there. You know what? Let's keep it. The whole community really liked it. They thought it was a cool landmark, and so the community decided to keep this billboard that was only designed to be there for 18 months what happens it it kind of falls apart so we're gonna get to all of the time that it was falling apart but first first i want to do a little segue to the don lee years So as I mentioned, the Hollywood sign is on Mount Lee. Don Lee is someone I had never heard of before I started researching for this episode. But I was so amazed at the history of his role on this mountain and just in the entertainment industry in general. So this guy, Don Lee, 
he was an entrepreneur. He dabbled in a whole bunch of different industries. He worked in radio, in the car industry. He did all kinds of stuff. Really, really influential guy. So he was doing really well in entertainment, but in radio. And he decided, you know what? We have some of the technology that we could start broadcast television. Oh. He was one of the pioneers of broadcast television after his success in radio. In 1930, he decided to lead the development of broadcast television in the Los Angeles area. There were Mm -hmm. other people in other areas of the world doing this as well. I'm not going to say he was the singular person doing it, but he was one of the great leaders of broadcast television in the LA area. This is 1930. Oh, wow. When I think about television, I I think much later than that. Lee's first programming went live in December 1931. Now, he didn't do it by Mount Lee. He did it from a location further south in Gardena, which is kind of closer to the South Bay area when you're on your way to San Pedro and Long Beach. This was eight years before NBC began broadcasting in New York. Oh, wow. This is early, early television. Yeah. In 1932, Lee moved his studio to downtown L.A., actually on top of one of the Cadillac dealerships he owned. So he had like multiple (laughs) industries in one place. In uh, 1933, Lee actually broadcast the first documented TV news coverage. Oh, wow. That is so much earlier than I thought it was. That's so cool. It was of the 1933 Long Beach earthquake and the first soap opera in 1938. <laughs> I, wow. I didn't even think those came out till like 20 years later. That's fascinating. The first soap opera was called Vine Street, and it was in 1938. And the subject matter of it just blew my mind. I was like, they were making shows about this back then? It was called Vine Street, which, as you know, is a prominent street in Hollywood. It was about the struggles of making it big in Hollywood. So Hollywood was already making stuff about itself (laughs) in the 30s. That's so interesting. How weird is that? Wow, it's so meta. Hollywood, you Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah. Here's one thing that was crazy. As he's doing all of this uh, television stuff, a lot of the people who worked on television actually came from the radio world. Television in its earliest, earliest days was considered by many to be more live action radio than like broadcast movies. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because the public was used to the serialized radio dramas. Even the actors, for the most part, on a lot of these television series they they came from the radio world. Yeah, I mean, if they have that experience. That's interesting, though, because movies obviously had been going on for a while then. But I wonder if even this early on, if movie stars like looked down upon this newfangled television thing as not being high enough art. Oh, they so That's did. so funny. They so, so did. Yeah. And I definitely want us to do a start of television episode sometime because there's there's so much to talk about in this topic. Oh, yeah, definitely. Vine Street lasted less than a year. The very first soap opera ever. Very different from a lot of the soap operas of today that, you know, go on for years and years and years. TV's starting, but television signal transmissions could not go over the hill. Oh, So people who were in the valley weren't really getting all of this TV. 
they were like, you know what? If it can't go over the hill, you know where we got to put our towers? <laughs> On the hill. <laughs> so that that's sense. what moved Don Lee onto the top of what's now Mount Lee. Ah. In 1938, the Don Lee Network purchased a 20-acre site that was just behind the Hollywood sign, right, right behind it, way up there on the hill. His co-owner of the land, Max Sennett, he was the father of slapstick comedy. He discovered a lot of the comedic actors. We talked about him in the silent film era episode. So Max Sennett was a co-owner of this land. They were intending for this land to be used as a broadcast studio. So they built a broadcast studio there, like even places to film. Uh, They had their transmission tower. They had their control room. So in 1939, the Donnelly Network's facility behind the Hollywood sign opened, and it was the highest elevation TV transmission tower in the world. Wow. The network was broadcasting in the studio, there on Mount Lee and in other studio locations, and also doing remotely filmed shows. And in 1940, they were the first station to transmit a live remote telecast. Oh, wow. Live TV in 1940. And that was actually footage of the Tournament of Roses Parade in Pasadena. Oh, that's really fun. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that was like the first live television? Yeah. That's so cool. By 1941, they were operating really regularly, two hours a day. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, doesn't sound like much these days, but that was a lot to have two hours of TV a day. (laughs) Now, after World War II, they decided that Mount Wilson was a better location for the towers. Yeah. Don Lee, as well as the additional television broadcasters, because by this time there were three television broadcasters in Los Mm -hmm. Angeles. They all moved to Mount Wilson. And the last television transmission from Mount Lee was in 1951. Oh, interesting. So I bet you didn't know that the land the Hollywood sign sits on was super significant to the birth of television. (laughs) I didn't know that. I knew there were towers up there because you can see them Mm -hmm. from certain angles, but no, I had no idea. We'll get back to the history of the sign itself. In 1932... One of the big, big events happened with the sign that's really persisted in mythology and public knowledge, Mm -hmm. which was the tragic suicide of Peg Entwistle. I'm sure you've heard of her before. Yes. It's quite a fascinating story. Peg died at age 24. She was very, very young. She actually moved from Wales to Hollywood as a child after her parents died. Peg's aunt and uncle who she moved with, they were in the theater. She came from a theater family. Peg studied theater and later went on to Manhattan. And she started a pretty prominent career as a theater actress there. She did a bunch of plays. But she also got married very, Mm. very young. She married an actor named Robert Keith at 17. And uh, Robert was not a very good guy. Not only was he abusive... But he also had lied about being married before and having a child. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, very, very bad. Peg 
was in this marriage for about five years Mm. until she finally was granted a divorce. And imagine being a divorced woman at age 22 in those times. Yeah, no, you don't. That alone is, is so rough. Yeah. Yeah. God. Peg decided after her divorce to really focus on building her acting career. And so in early summer 1932, Peg was offered a theater role Mm -hmm. that she took, but then got offered a better theater role. So she declined the first theater role. Mm -hmm. And then she declined that second theater role because she got an offer to appear in an RKO feature called 13 Women. Oh, wow. So Peg just did something that's a big, big no-no in the entertainment industry in that time, declining jobs. You do, you yeah. did not decline jobs back then. When you gave your word that you were doing a job, you had to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're blacklisted. Yeah. And Peg had just turned down two jobs. Wow. Here's Here's the tricky thing about this movie that she agreed to do, 13 Women. In the script, Peg's character gets caught up in a lesbian relationship. Oh. Mind you, this is the early 30s. Yeah. And so that part of the story did not make it through the motion picture production code, and Peg's role was reduced to a cameo appearance. So she had rejected those theater roles, thinking this was her big, big break, Mm -hmm. and then she's barely even in the movie. Wow. And so... Peg's film career is completely derailed. She's completely blacklisted by the entertainment industry. The movie also got terrible reviews. Oh. Peg even got evicted from her apartment and had to move back in with her aunt and uncle and sell like almost all of her personal belongings. Jeez. Like stuff was really bad for Peg. And so, um, meanwhile, her ex husband is having this super successful career. Ugh, of course he is. Everything is just really not going well for her. She's blacklisted. On September 16th, 1932, Peg said she was getting a book at the drugstore in the Hollywoodland Village, but instead trekked to the sign, and she climbed the H and jumped soon after a hiker who was up there found her purse um. that had the suicide note in it. And in her note, she said if she had done it sooner, she would have saved a lot of people pain, which is just like oh. the saddest thing ever. Wow. That's so sad. Yeah, it, it really is. And what's even sadder is that in the press those days and even today, she's forever known as the girl who jumped off the Hollywood sign oh. when she was someone who really was a very skilled actress. And it's like kind of the same with the Black Dahlia. You know, how many people actually Mm -hmm. know her name? Yeah. That's really sad. Exactly. Her story has been mentioned in so many different forms of media. If you saw the Ryan Murphy show Hollywood, the movie that they're making within the show originally is about her life, but then gets tweaked a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, that's a pretty dramatic and iconic death Yeah, and it's definitely a symbol of the Hollywood sign is this symbol of like all of the hope of stardom and all all the bright lights of Hollywood, the opportunities. But I mean, there's a dark side to that. And so there's even a lot of symbolism behind uh, that kind of gesture. Definitely, definitely. And the darkness only continues for the Hollywood sign. So in uh, 
1933 literal darkness started because the signs stopped being lit. Ah. So the sign was under new ownership and really, really went into disrepair. And they even decided to discontinue maintenance on the sign. Oh, yeah. So it's really, really falling into disrepair. And mind you, this thing was built 10 years before Mm-hmm. And was only intended to stand 18 months. It became a target for pranksters, people doing graffiti, all these different kinds of things. From about 1930 to 1973, that was largely a period of neglect for the sign. Wow. It had some repairs in 1939 but it really really didn't stay nice for long yeah it was it was looking really bad for like 43 years that's a long time especially with how fast los angeles grew from that point forward to just kind of Mm -hmm. leave it yeah letters fell the wooden frame got warped and even in in 1944 it was donated to the city of los angeles and that year the H fell down and stayed on the ground for six years. Oh, my gosh. So it was Hollywood land for a while? Yeah. Oh. And so in 1947, it was repaired again, and the land was removed. Okay. It was no longer even owned by the Hollywood land neighborhood anymore. It was owned by the city. Yeah. So they were like, why should we advertise this housing development? It should have the name of the neighborhood. So yeah. land was removed. In 1949, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce began an effort to um, repair and rebuild the sign. Mm-hmm. They talked with the Parks Department about lighting it. They were like, oh, maybe we can make it look nice if we start to light the sign again. And the Parks Department was like, um, no, Chamber of Commerce, if you want it to be lit, you have to pay for it yourself. <laughs> and so they decided, okay, we're not going to replace the light bulbs. It's just not going to be lit. I assumed that the Parks Department was like, you're not starting forest fires up here. Take your electricity <laughs> yeah, elsewhere. you would think. You would think, right? And so in 1973, the sign was designated as a historic landmark. And the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce and the community decided to raise a lot of money for a facelift. And so they had this whole big hullabaloo about getting it all nice. And they had a big (laughs) event to uh, reveal it. And so they have this whole hullabaloo. And then, like, right away on February 10th, 1978, a windstorm severely damages the sign. Oh, no. So it didn't last very long. And so they're like, okay, okay, we gave it, we gave it the facelift, but you know what? We need to actually fully rebuild the sign to make it something that can withstand um, decades. Yeah. Later in 1978, there was a huge, huge community effort to rebuild the sign, more permanent, but with the same design and size. Mm-hmm. Some of the major donors who sponsored specific letters included Hugh Hefner. He was. A huge, huge donor for this. He threw events at the Playboy Mansion, all kinds of stuff. Alice Cooper uh, sponsored one of the letters mm. in memory of Groucho Marx. Oh. Gene Autry actually sponsored one, as did KTLA and Warner Brothers Records. So um, oh. you can actually see online who owns which letter. It's kind of oh, interesting. That's fun. The rebuild was severely helped by the use of helicopters. And at its unveiling, they actually illuminated it with searchlights. 
Oh, fun. So this was one of the few times where it was illuminated. Mm-hmm. And that night, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce held a big gala party at the Griffith Observatory. Ooh, oh gosh, that would be so fun to go to. Yeah, so everybody could have a great view. When finished, the sign was the largest sign in the world, 45 feet oh. high and 450 feet long. I didn't know that. And uh, since then, the sign has been repainted in 1993, 2003, and 2013. So it's probably oh. going to be due for another paint job pretty yeah. soon. So they've been taking slightly better care of it. For years, you know, people have loved going up to the Hollywood sign, mm-hmm. checking it out, all that. But, but in the year 2000, they installed a new surveillance and security <laughs> system and decided that it's illegal to get close yeah. to the sign. Yeah. So they put up all these restricting gates and it's now protected by cameras and park rangers. <laughs> and an LAPD officer is now there 24-7. Oh my gosh. There's a designated Hollywood sign officer? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Now, in some happy history, there's been a long history of pranksters covering parts of the sign to make it say yes. different things. <laughs> you might remember some of these, Kelsey. It's my favorite. Multiple times it has been made to say Hollyweed. Yes. Yeah, actually, Leo and I, mm-hmm. our first year here, I think it was New mm-hmm. Year's 2017. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's exactly when it was. It was so fun. Yeah. hmm it's been made to say Hollywood oh. for the Pope visiting, Hollywood, go Navy, Caltech, Perotwood, and go UCLA. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you hear about the most recent one? Wait, what was that one? So one happened on February 1st, so just a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they attempted to make it Holly Boob. <laughs> 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 Which might be my favorite. Holly like Weed that. is pretty good, but Holly Boob is great too. They got caught though, probably by that LAPD officer. Also, they were doing it 1 p.m. That's a dumb time to do it. <laughs> like most of these happen during the cover of darkness. I know, right? But they said they tried to make it sound like they were doing it for breast cancer awareness. But yeah, come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> I see, I see. Now looking to the future of the Hollywood sign. One thing that has been discussed numerous times is an aerial tramway to the top of Mount Lee to take people up there. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, I bet you have. And in uh, June of 2018, uh, Warner Brothers proposed to fund a $100 million tramway that would go all the way from their studio to the top of Mount Lee. And it's been discussed, too, at a visitor center and things like that up there. That's cool. Maybe in the near future, we'll see that. That would be actually really awesome because I know a lot of people hate the idea of that. But for someone with disabilities and knowing there's a lot of people in the disability community, it would make that area so much more accessible and easier to Mm -hmm. navigate. I think it's really cool. And they're planning on doing it on the back side of the hill, right. the valley side. So it wouldn't change the look of the hill. Yeah, exactly. And people have... People have issues. Yeah, I think that's fine. And then to conclude, in just two years, the sign will celebrate its 100th anniversary. Oh, that's true. Wow. A hundred years of the Hollywood sign. 
So this has been a little trip through the history of the Hollywood sign. Yes. Now you know more than it's just a bunch of cool letters to take a picture of. Right, exactly. It's not just like a random city landmark. It has history. And yeah, Mm -hmm. thanks for sharing all of that with us, Natalia. Of course. We're going to switch up the format a little bit with the podcast just to give my little chronically sore editing hands a break. So we're doing this as a two-parter episode, and I will be talking next week about all the different ways to access, take the best selfie with the Hollywood sign. So any view or angle you can get, I'm going to be covering that for all of you next week. We look forward to seeing you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just a reminder, the content of this podcast is based on our own opinions and personal experiences and may not reflect the opinions and experiences of all Angelinos. Music by Leo Jackson. Artwork by Trevor D. Richardson. Edited by Kelsey Ryder and additional research by me, Natalia Raymond. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Angelinos in Training and on Twitter at Angelinos Pod. Want us to cover a specific topic about LA? Email us at angelinosintraining at gmail.com.